Over the last few weeks, we've been seeing the sort of back and forth in the Gospel of Matthew between Jesus giving these parables time and time again of sort of talking about the Father's love and pouring it out on us and our often just basically like failing response, right? We had like the parable of the wicked tenants who kept throwing out you know, all of the, the servants of the landowner and then eventually threw out his son and killed him thinking they would take everything even though it's, you know, he wanted them to participate in his joy, in his working. We had the parable of the two sons, the one who said, no, I won't go and then went, the one who said, yes, I'll go and didn't go. And it's sort of like this back and forth of how we respond to God. And then a couple of weeks ago, the last time we were inside on a Sunday, we had the parable of the wedding feast where the king is inviting everybody to the wedding feast of his son and everybody keeps saying, no, we don't want to come. We're not going to come. Even though he's offering all of this, they just keep putting up roadblocks. Well, last week, we got the sort of like response to Jesus. You had the Pharisees coming together and figuring out how they're going to entrap him. And they send their disciples to go and flatter him, butter him up, so to speak, and then ask him that question about paying taxes to Caesar. And then today, as you can see, the way that it started is it said when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees. Well, in between last week's gospel about render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and then this week about the test of what is the greatest commandment, you had this interaction between Jesus and the Sadducees, and the Sadducees are the ones who don't believe in the resurrection. As Mrs. Kramer taught me in the sixth grade, that is sad, you see. And so you remember, that's how we remember who the Sadducees are. They don't believe in the resurrection, which is sort of a mind-boggling thing when you think about it, that you know, they're sort of religious authorities, and yet don't believe that there's anything beyond this life. Well, as it says in the gospel, Jesus silenced them. They gave him that uh, big sort of problem of, you know, a man had a wife and he had seven brothers and he died without an heir and she married all of them. There was no heir. Whose wife is she going to be in heaven? And Jesus, of course, silences them in saying that in heaven they're neither given in marriage or taken in marriage and that they're going to be like the angels in heaven, that there is an afterlife, that you know, God is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, God of the living, not of the dead, that we do have the hope of an afterlife. And I'll tell you, just sort of reflecting as we come into this gospel today, you think about those first two challenges to Jesus. The first one was about taxes. The second one was about death. And as you know, I mean, those are the things that we're told often are the two things that were guaranteed in this life, death and taxes, right? And Jesus responds to both of them. And I'll tell you, as we come into this commandment today and the way that Jesus responds, I want to tell you a little, about, a little bit about something that happened right in the church just over a week ago. We had a funeral here on Friday, I guess it would have been the 16th in the morning. In fact, as you leave today, you can see that the tent is actually still up. Uh, it was for a Mr. Gregory Ferguson, uh, who wasn't actually a parishioner here, lived up in Virginia, uh, has family in the area. His wife was buried here over 10 years ago. And so we had the funeral here, and it was beautiful. And Mr. Ferguson was a Marine. 
And we had it set up where we were going to have the military honors for Mr. Ferguson, but uh, the Marines were not able to stay until after the Mass. So in kind of an unusual fashion, we had the honors before the Mass rather than after. Typically, they take place down at the graveside. Well, on that particular Friday, it wasn't possible. So for Mr. Ferguson, the military honors were done right here. So we had the Easter candle right in the center, and I made sure that it was lit. And then right in front of that was uh, Mr. Ferguson's body in the casket, and it was horizontal, okay? And I bring that up for a reason, because I was thinking, we've got plenty of room right here, you know? I mean, if you look at it when you come up close, the pews kind of cut back a little bit, right? But it'll be fine. That'll look good up there. I will say, I asked one of my military chaplain friends, is it okay to have the military honors in the church? And he said, yeah, as long as you don't do the 21-gun salute in there. I said, thank you. I appreciate that. So, you know, we didn't have the 21-gun salute. However, we had the folding and presentation of the flag, the playing of taps. It was beautiful. But one thing I will tell you that really struck me was the fact that the Marines were not able to sort of like uh, freely flow like they normally would. The pews were a little bit too close, and God bless them, they did a great job. I mean, they handled it smoothly, but they had to kind of sidestep a little bit in and out of the pews because it just couldn't contain the whole right. And I bring that up this morning because I think it really points to what's going on in the gospel, what our Lord is hoping for us, is the fact that when you think about those military honors, it's one of the most beautiful things we do as human beings. I have the great privilege of getting to visit the National Cemetery right over there at the VA hospital very frequently because a lot of times you know, funerals will happen somewhere else and they'll call for a priest to come in for the burial rite. And so I get to see very often those military honors done for all sorts of our servicemen and women from all the different branches of the military. And every time, it's just such a beautiful thing to see. But I say this because it was incredible to see it in the church that it just couldn't quite fit, okay? And I say that because when you look at our lives, when you look at what we're called to, we're called to be saints. We're called to move on towards heaven. We're called to love with our whole heart, our whole soul, and our whole mind, mainly God, and then to love our neighbors as ourselves. And all of that love doesn't completely fit into this life, right? That we know that this life comes to an end at some point, hence the question of the Sadducees, the talk about the resurrection. What does Christ want for us? He wants us to have that love that isn't ended at death that doesn't come to an end, that lasts forever. The love, ultimately, that is the love of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit loving one another, and he wants us to participate in that love. And this life that we're given isn't big enough to completely contain it. And any time that we fall into sin, any time that we turn away from him, not living out this greatest of the commandments, we're putting more and more limits on that love. So ultimately in this life, what we're called to do is to learn more and more how to actually live out this commandment. 
And I'll tell you, it's easy to sort of become cynical to think, that's not possible. How do you love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, your neighbor as yourself? We can get cynical. And in fact, the Pharisee today who's asking Jesus that question is frankly cynical. The question there that it said that, uh, where is it? When the scholar of law tested him by asking. The interesting thing in the Greek there, that word for tested, is the same word that's used for what the devil did to Jesus in the desert, that he tempted him. You know, what is the greatest of the commandments? Trying to trip him up. And this is the thing, as we live in a culture of death, more and more, right? That more and more submits to, oh, this couldn't possibly be the way. You know, this child who's conceived we weren't planning on, let's just get rid of it. That's going to make something better. No. This, you know, our, our beloved that's in the nursing home, you know, they're just hard to take care of, better to just get rid of them. No. That ultimately we cannot give in to a culture that treats our fellow human beings in that way. As our Lord says, you know, in Exodus, you go all the way back to the Old, Old Testament, you shall not molest or oppress an alien. There's the thing too. We can't treat those who are in our company in a bad way. We have to welcome the immigrant, welcome those who are with us, especially the most weak in our midst. We're called not to push them away, but to love them. And ultimately, the more that we grow close to our Lord, the more that we see that he enters into our cynical world, our world that very often, you know, concedes to and makes compromises with the culture of death. We have to say no in every way that we live, of course, in the way that we vote, but in everything else too, to make sure that ultimately we strive to recognize that our Lord wants our hearts to expand to keep growing in that love for him and for one another, to recognize the fact that he wants us to be living images of his love. And the very fact that even in the midst of a temptation, like what the devil gave him in the desert, Jesus still answers with what? With love. He starts off with the, first, with the second person singular, you shall love the Lord your God, right? He's saying that to the scribe, the one who's testing him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and your neighbor is yourself. The same thing is called for each and every one of us. Yes, we live in a fallen world that includes taxes and includes death, but nevertheless, God has entered into all of this with us, stays with us perpetually, lays down his life for us, and even though he gives us a commandment that is so huge, could be so difficult, yet he gives it to us because he wants us to have that love that continues to expand, that continues to grow, that even death itself cannot contain. I'm so grateful to Mr. Ferguson for the fact that we got to have those military honors right here in this church to see, you know, inside here just can't even contain that love. And the same thing is true for us. Our lives can't completely contain the love that Christ gives to us, the love that he gives us in the Blessed Sacrament. And ultimately what he wants for us is to continue to expand, to grow in that love, never to become cynical, never to just give in to a culture of death that allows for all of these terrible atrocities, but rather strives for sanctity, strives to grow in love, strives to know Jesus 
more and more. He who is love incarnate, he who loved us to the very end, who laid down his life for us on the cross, rose from the dead for us, and continues to be in our midst to this very morning, this very rainy morning, and shows us the fact that regardless of what happens out there, that his love remains. My brothers and sisters in Christ, yes, we know that there are taxes, and we know that there is a death, and yet... What we know even more than that is that as St. Paul told us, love never fails. Love never ends. And the love of Christ that he gives us today is forever present. Continue to draw close to him. Continue to enter into that relationship with him. Continue to ask him for the grace to love him with your whole heart, mind, and soul. And therefore, to love your neighbor as yourself. Praise be Jesus Christ. Now.